There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Is it normal to feel really horny? Is it normal for your ankles to swell up? Is it normal to be incredibly out of breath? Is it normal to feel terrified of giving birth? Is it normal that my nipples hurt so much? Hello and welcome to Is It Normal? The Pregnancy Podcast. I'm Jessie Ware and this podcast follows my pregnancy journey and with the help of amazing experts is here to help you feel reassured and inform you about all aspects of pregnancy and giving birth. We're getting up to the actual giving birth. We've waited nearly 40 weeks and we're now at week 38. So it's really feeling quite real and I think there's a lot that buzzes around in your head at this time and there's a lot to unpick and to try and also feel really calm and collected and tranquil so the baby comes naturally and all of this it's like a real old head mess and there's so much to think about so hopefully we can help you unpick some of those worries and alleviate some of those stresses by just having the conversations with our experts to give you those options and see what you fancy doing. In this episode, we will be talking about induction methods. Now we have a reflexologist called Anna Lee, who's going to talk to me about ways to induce naturally and also have a really glorious foot rub in the process. She's my reflexologist. She's absolutely phenomenal. She really helped me out when I was really overdue with my second baby. And hopefully she'll give you some tips or show the positive benefits of having reflexology or acupressure but first we are joined by our regular consultant obstetrician and gynecologist Jess McMicking to talk about induction methods the myths about the curry or the 10 pineapples or the dates that you're supposed to eat six weeks before the baby's due we're going to talk to her all about those things but also some of the induction methods they offer at hospitals hello Jess thank you for joining us for week 38 thank you for having me back we're very excited we're nearly there nearly there we are really <laughs> really nearly there um, today we're going to focus on induction uh, dispelling some of the myths around induction why people may need to be induced and how to deal with those early labor pains First question, Jess, why would some people need to be induced? Yeah, so induction of labour, they say about one in five women in the United Kingdom undergo an induction of labour. Now, obviously that varies because in higher risk hospitals, it may be more than that. But generally, you know, in your circle of friends, someone has undergone an induction. Um, The reason why uh, one may be recommended to be induced, there can be a whole array of reasons. Probably the most common ones we see is someone might have um, diabetes of pregnancy or what we call gestational diabetes. They might have um, a hypertensive disorder of pregnancy, um, whether that's preeclampsia or uh, what we call pregnancy-induced hypertension. It may be due to a baby reason, whether a baby's you know measuring quite small um, and we're worried about the growth of the baby, or it could be um, because of the mother's age or some other underlying um, problem. Um, so there's there's so many reasons um, why one's to be induced. What I guess has been decided at that point when one's recommended an induction is actually the benefits of getting on having your baby is outweighing the risks that involved with continuing your pregnancy. So it's always a sort of benefit versus risk calculation. So let's go through some of the methods of induction first, because there are quite an array of different methods of induction, some less intrusive, some slightly more intrusive. Yeah, so there are what we call um, our medical, I guess, uh, 
options for the induction of labor. And what these are built on is, you know, prostaglandin. So, you know, a, a substance um, that helps sort of ripen the body. Um, and so these ripening agents that fall under the medical category can be either what's called a propess or a pessary. And what that is, is it's sort of essentially like, uh, it's not as big as a tampon, but we describe it as a tampon or a long piece of string. It gets inserted into uh, your vagina right at the back. So what we call sort of the posterior fornix right beside the cervix. And over 24 hours, it will release this prostaglandins that will gently open up your cervix. The other form is what we call a prostaglandin gel or a prostin, and it does a similar sort of thing, except it's gels that are administered every six hours, and there's different doses for that. And it does the same sort of thing. It sort of dissolves in that region, um, and what it will do is let the cervix start to dilate open, soften, thin, all those sort of early type ripening stages. The other way that we can get a cervix open is an, a mechanical thing, and that you may or may not have heard of. It's either a Cook's catheter or a Foley's catheter, and it's a small balloon we actually put into the cervix and we blow it up um, with some fluid and it will mechanically stretch open the cervix. And the reason we do all these is what we're trying to aim to get to the point of being able to break your water. So it's what we call sort of that early sort of stages of induction. The next step is what we call then the breaking of the water or the artificial rupture of membranes. And so we use this small little plastic hook. It's not painful at all. It gets inserted in, breaks the waters and out comes sort of the gush of fluid that we would expect. And then the next step would be that if after following that, your body still hasn't started to contract itself, we use what's called um, oxytocin, which is just the artificial version of what's going on in your body. And that gets your contraction stronger and closer together. So a, a whole array of steps, lots and lots of different steps. Yeah. <laughs> is there one that you feel like is the most, I presume the oxytocin drip hormone is probably the most successful or intense one yeah so it's it's a good question it's like well why can't we just jump to that step well the reason that there's sort of this sequential steps is that it's broken down into that sort of ripening phase or getting the cervix open now some hospitals or birth centers where you are may only choose to use the gel or the mm. propest you know everyone sort of has their steps in play that they um, recommend um, and then once we get to that second stage whereas the breaking of the waters the next step is always then yes the um, oxytocin infusion that we give it is a little bit confusing it's sort of like uh, but they actually each have their way of doing things and as I said it's it's the body it's working out well, where actually does your cervix sit at this stage because some women they can actually just jump straight to their waters being broken because their cervix is already mm. open um, and so it, it's that pre-assessment that's also important to know what's best suited for you and your circumstances for the induction. Now before any of those usually the midwife will offer you a sweep can you explain what a sweep is and when that will be offered by the midwife? Yeah, so it's either called sort of a membrane sweep, a sweep. Um, in Australia, we used to call it a stretch and sweep, which I find it probably a little bit <laughs> on the, the funny side. Um, so, yeah, so what it involves, it's an internal examination, and this can be performed by um, your midwife or your obstetrician. Um, and what happens is that what they're trying to do is find your cervix and to see if it's already open. And so what we do is to perform that internal examination, we obviously use sterile our gloves um, we use sort of a one or two finger approach find the cervix and if the cervix is open even if it's open a centimeter what we do is we put our finger inside the cervix and we gently sweep in a sort of a circular motion the membranes and what that's trying to do is disrupt the membranes from you know the outer part of the the uterus or the cervix um, and encourage that natural release of prostaglandins that then encourages your labor to start simultaneously when can you have it? And that's a really good question. And it often is guided by what's going on in your pregnancy. So in someone who's booked for an induction for some reason, it might be earlier at say 38 weeks, it might be that your obstetrician says, well, you know what, I'm happy to do a sweep from 37 weeks when your term, um, because what we know is in some women performing a membrane sweep will actually mean that they go into labor and therefore avoid the use of medications um, uh, 
for what's involved in induction. If you've got a low risk pregnancy, so there's nothing else going on, it may be more appropriate to perform your membrane sweep from your due date. So, you know, having one done at 40 weeks um, or even a few days after, your midwife might say, look, that's actually more indicated in your circumstance. Um, And so it's obviously good to have those chats with whoever's looking after you in your pregnancy, because it might be that your membrane sweep can be offered a little bit earlier or a little bit later. And also it it can be successful too. Um, So it's a really useful tool if you want to try and avoid uh, an induction of labour. And people can have a couple of sweeps, can't they? I mean, I had more than a couple for my last one, so I don't know (laughs) if it necessarily worked. I'd like to think Uh, after the I think my record's five. Five sweeps I've done on someone, um, but it worked. It worked on the fifth. So uh, hands off to that person for persisting. Um, but yeah, you are right. It's safe. Um, that's because we use sterile gloves. We're not breaking the waters. We're just sweeping the membranes um, and it, it's safe for the baby. And yeah, it, it, you can definitely have more than one. Is it true that you're likely to have a more painful labour if you are induced? Very good question. I think this is the, f- the most favourite question that's asked. Um, and what we have to remember is everyone's pain thresholds are different. So that's number one. And, mm. that, you know, that's the same as your menstrual cycle pain. Everyone has different sort yeah. of thresholds for pain. The reason that an induction of labour can be more painful is because of that oxytocin infusion at the end, because what that's designed to do is make your contractions stronger and closer together. Um, So yes, you are right. You know, some women say, oh, actually that was, you know, I've had an induction and then I've had a labour where I haven't needed an induction. And what I remember from the induction, it was so, so, so painful. But that's because that infusion is designed to do that. And it's got its place within that birth um, to get those contractions stronger and closer together so your cervix opens and you can have a baby. Um, Some women don't necessarily need really strong medication with the um, oxytocin infusion. I've seen women who've been able to tolerate it, you know, with their TENS machine, you know, whatever it is that they, you know, can utilize. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll need that stronger form of pain relief, which is the epidural, but obviously it will depend on your pain threshold. But you're not, you're more likely to be offered it, aren't you? The the, the epidural kind of earlier on, right? Yeah, it's more likely that you may want it on your birth plan at some point um, because of of the pain. Yes. So often people also think that you're more likely to have a cesarean if you have been induced. Is that a myth? Is that common? What's good today is we do have a lot of sort of research papers that have looked at women undergoing an induction. And there was one published, I think, this year that looked at a, a group of women who were low risk with nothing else going on, um, had a normal labour, or so we say a spontaneous labour, and then had a an induction of labour. And what they found is there's no difference. So an induction of labour in a setting of you know low risk scenario, it does not increase your chances of needing an instrumental delivery or cesarean section. What can change that is the reasons that you've been induced. So of course, you know, if you've got um, uh, preeclampsia going on, what we know is preeclampsia, there is that chance for some reason you need an emergency cesarean section. And so it's what's going on in the background that's important. Um, But inductions aren't all bad. um, And I'm glad that we now have, you know, this research to, I guess, help reassure women um, that it doesn't necessarily increase your chances of needing a cesarean. So let's talk about how to deal with those early pains of labor now we've kind of touched on it in previous episodes but there you're not allowed to be admitted in a hospital or a birth center until you are four centimeters dilated now for a first time birth bertha or maybe even second time sometimes those first four centimeters can be quite a struggle to get to or quite a long drawn out thing how do you deal with those early pains? Yeah, so it, it is a really hard, I guess, place that some women find them in because it's that early part of the label, what we call the latent phase, where the cervix, you know, is a little bit stubborn. You're having all these contractions, but it takes away a, a while to get to that point, whether it's three or four centimeters. Um, and it's working out how do you cope at home. Um, and so what often is um a quite useful thing is that's when you can utilize a TENS machine if you have them. You can utilize your bath at home. You might have a birthing ball um, that keeping mobile might work for you and your tolerance for the contractions. You can take pain relief in the form of tablets, so paracetamol and dihydrocodone. 
Sometimes what we find is even if you take those tablets, they don't necessarily work because actually your stomach and everything else in that early phase of labor doesn't tend to digest things as well, but they are an option. Um, it's hard to know what will work best for you, um, but all of those things, um, you know, it might be that you do your yoga or things like that, that, that may all help with you um, in your early uh, labor phase. Do you think any of the things that people say to bring on labor work, you know, there's... <laughs> Let's go. Let's run through some of them. Have a curry, a really spicy yeah. curry. Have sex. Uh, walk up and down the stairs sideways. What else is there? Clary sage, the um, essential oil. Um, someone told me to rub a ro- rose essential oil on my labia. What else? Uh, someone said to drink castor oil. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a lot of ways because some people just don't fancy being induced. So they prefer to do it at home. Which one of those, if any of them, were, <laughs> Jess? So, yeah, so once again, a, a really favourite topic that people like to discuss. And I think that's where, you know, your mum or someone else will be like, yeah. oh, this is what I did back mm. in the day. So um, to go through your list. So actually, what one you left off, which I find quite hilarious, is actually having sex. Is I said no, it. I said it. No. It was the second one I brought up. Um, <laughs> oh, was it? Oh, God. But let's let's go. Let's talk about sex. Sorry. Let's talk about sex. Let's just yes. jump to that one first. Yeah. So why do we say have sex? Well, actually, sperm contains prostaglandins. So we know that prostaglandins are an effective way of ripening the cervix and getting you there. So yes. It, it, Couples, what they say is, oh, it's a little bit, it feels a bit different or I'm, I'm scared I'm going to harm the baby. You won't harm the baby. It's more about what position feels right. But what we know is sex can be a way of getting yourself into labor. You then mentioned the use of curry. Now, curry, eating eight pineapples, there's all sorts mm-hmm. of things to do with that. that. Um, and that's purely, to be honest, it, it gets your bowels going. It may push you into the diarrhea. But what they say is, you know, active bowels may just shudder that uterus enough that it gets you into labor. So that's the theory so get, behind get, that you one. Give yourself a dicky tummy, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you mentioned then... Uh, raspberry tea. Um, I didn't actually, you know, but yes, ra- raspberry oh, leaf tea. Raspberry tea. Now I've been using yeah. raspberry leaf tea since uh, twenty four weeks because of a certain tea that I make. But I'm not. I'm not telling anybody to do that. But it's. I'm. I, I'm still. I still have a baby in my tummy. So. Raspberry leaf tea, let's talk about it. So nothing medically proven, but some midwives or, you know, they might suggest to drink it at the end of your pregnancy because it's connected to going into labour. It's not scientifically proven, though, but it's not harmful. We actually say, yeah, probably avoid it earlier than that just in case. But obviously you're still pregnant today, so it hasn't had any um, sort of impact on that. It's supposed to be that it kind of softens and ripens the cervix, right? Um, yes. Yeah, it, exactly. it tastes yeah. nice. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't tried it myself, but um, I've heard it does taste nice. Uh, then there's obviously acupuncture, lighting candles, all those sorts of things that once again relax the body. Um, and sometimes a relaxed mind will relax the body um, and actually therefore carry its benefits and get you into labor. Um, So once again, some things aren't necessarily scientifically proven, but they're safe. And in some women, they've actually worked really, really well. Just don't do what my mate did when she thought about the sex. She gave her um, husband a blowjob and thought that that was the way to do it. I think it has to go up. Um, a different route rather than... I'm not sure what paper she's <laughs> um, reading on that one. <laughs> yeah, but, but bless her. She, yeah, she, bless her. Um, exactly what you want to be doing at 42 weeks. Um, I think the other the other one I wanted to mention about the sideways yeah. walking, I have heard of that. Or someone the other day was um, walking with one leg in the air. How do you walk with one leg in the air? I think they were hopping. They were sending me a video. It was a friend, don't worry. Um, but I, I, I did get the giggles. I didn't recommend that, but I was more worried she'd fall over. No, totally. <laughs> Please don't I mean, fall over. We've, we've talked about with um, in our exercise bonus edition with Anne Collins-Ackroyd, the yoga teacher, some of these uh, walks that a doctor called Dr. Gary Motor goes, um, encourages, which just kind of, I guess, encourage your baby to get down into the optimal position. And if you're lucky, I may even do them on the Instagram page. So yeah, and I'll show them because it's too hard, but it's kind of doing a kind of scooping thing and shuffling and trying to just get... So I can imagine that the walking up and down the stairs sideways, it's just kind of getting that baby into a Same thing. great position yeah. as 
deep into your pelvis as possible, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just about helping that baby. And what the thing is, is the baby then puts pressure on your cervix. So that that's what it is. And then it kickstarts um, things. So we have a voice note from a lady called Lucy, who has a question about how far you can go over 42 weeks and due dates. Hello, uh, my name is Lucy. I'm 33 weeks pregnant and I've got a question about due dates and what would be considered overdue. So in my case, when I came off the pill, I actually didn't have my period for three months and then found out I was pregnant. So from the start, um, estimating my due date has been, I imagine, a little bit of, of a guesswork. Um, but nevertheless, like in the pregnancy, she's followed the root of what they would have expected so say at 32 weeks my belly was measuring 32 centimeters and the baby's um you know thigh and head circumference and abdomen measurements were also all aligned to 32 weeks so i guess my question is does that mean that when they come to to make decisions about uh, what would be considered um I don't know how they word it, but like dangerously overdue if it was 42 weeks and they decide I needed to be induced. Can I, can I trust that? Or is there scope for me to be arguing that actually maybe she isn't quite 42 weeks and could be given a few more days? Um, because I imagine they've based these measurements on kind of average um, bell curves. So I wonder whether she could be a little bit younger or a little bit older than they think so yeah if you have any advice on this i would be really grateful because i really would love to um, have a natural birth if i could and avoid induction um so yeah i really want to be able to advocate for myself and the little one to come when she's ready thank you lucy um yeah lucy there just wanting to try and have a natural birth and worrying that the due date's wrong now how overdue do you let people go and what are the risks of going over 42 weeks yeah, so um, Lucy, obviously, she started off her pregnancy um, in a sort of unique circumstance where she couldn't be guided by her menstrual period dates. Now, in the United Kingdom, we actually use the 12-week scan to calculate one's due date, um, usually. And so what Lucy can be rest assured is that's probably what they base their scan on. So that's very routine that they do that. And that's sort of looking at the baby's size um, at that time and making that decision for her due date. When do we do post-dates inductions? And that's a really good question. And in some hospitals, um, what they might do is start them seven days over your due date, but they can go up to 14 days over. But that will be guided by what's going on in the pregnancy and what your local hospital or birth centre recommend. Why we don't let you go too far? So pregnancies, um, once they get to that 42-week mark, is we worry about you know the risks to the baby. Um, and in particular, the placenta, although... We know that it doesn't have a deadline where it switches off. It can start to not work as effectively. And so therefore that baby's at risk once it sort of goes over the 42-week mark of having meconium where it doesn't poo on the inside or the placenta not continuing to feed that baby with that really good supply of um, blood and nutrients. Um, and so we tend not to encourage anything beyond 42 weeks. Um, if, if anyone ever had concerns or they wanted to explore what their options were, you know, you're definitely able to to with both your midwife and obstetrician and what they can do is discuss the rationale um, for the induction they may offer a, another ultrasound just to check on things if someone wanted to be considered to go further than the recommendations um, but definitely the priority is keeping you safe but also keeping your baby safe thank you lucy and thanks jess for answering uh, a lot of questions about that early stage of labor induction whether it's natural or um, medical we're going to speak to a reflexologist anna lee who actually is going to talk a bit about well reflexology and how that can help induce labor and be a natural form of induction um but before we speak to her let's talk about what's happening with the baby at 38 weeks? I mean, is there much happening apart from the baby growing because it's now a term baby? 
Yeah, well, the babies, they tend to, their growth does plateau a little bit towards the end. So they're not doing that sort of growth um, that you see earlier in the third trimester, which is nice, uh, re- reassuring. Um, but they do obviously keep, continue to grow. What happens is the baby's probably nuzzling more and more down into your pelvic cavity. So some women say, actually, oh, the, my, the, the shape of my bump has changed. And that might be that your baby um, has become engaged. Um, it may be that your baby, you know, is twisting and turning its head as it descends down and it can result in your tummy you know slightly changing in shape Um, you may start to feel more pressure you may need to go to the loo a lot more um, things like that it's all reassuring um, that your baby's getting ready uh, for that onset of labor well that's exciting and now it's just the waiting game isn't it (laughs) the waiting game the the fun game (laughs) yeah really really fun I mean I do like how the French do a a due window that's what they do like a due window so they don't actually Yeah, give you a I, date and I think it's far more healthy doing it that way no I I, told, I think it, it, I think what it also does is take the pressure off as well um, and I think having a due window or yeah it, things like that really help you prepare but also sort of takes that pressure off and gets you mentally ready um, for things to happen naturally thanks Jess for being here and we'll speak to you at 40 weeks sounds great thank you very much for having me Thank you, Jess McMicking, for going through some of the medical induction methods and also some of the myths. Now, some of you may not fancy any of those options. There are other options um, that you can go for as well if you're getting past that due date and you're really raring to go. And one that I tried was reflexology and acupuncture. So I decided to invite my reflexologist, Anna Lee, who specialises in pregnancy, to join us to explain what reflexology is. Thank you, Anna, for being here. Hello. Hello. So, Anna, what is reflexology for people that don't know what it is? So reflexology is a non-invasive complementary therapy which uses the feet to treat the whole body. Some reflexologists also use the hands and the ears um, and the face, but I mainly stick to the feet. So it feels very nice. (laughs) Yeah, the, the main premise of reflexology is to be a relaxing treatment. And it's it's something that a lot of pregnant women can really enjoy when they're feeling, um, you know, like they're not very flexible, they can't move around too mm. much, and frankly, can't actually reach their feet a lot of the time. Yeah. So, so to have something which, um, you know, is a treat for the feet is, um, is very welcome. So when would be the best time for somebody to access reflexology? Because can it help you? We're going to talk a bit about about induction and pain management. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But is there the best time for you to start, or could you have it throughout your pregnancy? I would, yes. So I would say the optimum 
the, the sort of optimum treatments really go throughout the pregnancy. So um, from the from the first trimester to the to the third and beyond. Um, so after you've had a baby too. Mm. Um, I think people are quite nervous in the first trimester, especially mm. when it's the when it's their first baby because yeah. they don't know uh, what to expect. And you know, it is one of the most vulnerable times. But if you find somebody who is is trained in pregnancy reflexology and, and knows what to do, knows which areas you would avoid mm. at that time, then it's a really lovely treatment to experience because actually it can really help with any kind of anxiety that you might have in that first stage. I mean, I just had you upstairs doing a treatment for me and I nodded off. And usually we chat, 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 and I love chatting to you. But you said, do you want to have the music on today? And I was like, I'm really tired. Yes, I think I do. And I feel so relaxed. And tell me how my body reacted. You said something after when we finished the treatment about the how my body reacted to it this time. Yeah, so I think, I think that... Um, you know, if, if you're able to completely relax and zone out, then you get the most benefit from the treatment. That's mm. not to say that, you know, having, if you, if you need to talk and mm. you want to talk, that's completely fine. But what happened today was a little bit different because I think you received the treatment really well. So you were relaxed. We had the music playing. I wasn't talking. Mm. You weren't talking to me and you were able to kind of really enjoy the, the benefits of it. And that's what it's about. It's about mm. well-being and it's about trying to kind of to, to relax you because there's, there are, there's lots of stress associated with pregnancy. Mm. There's lots of anxiety associated with it. And just having something that allows you to relax is hugely beneficial. So I guess for people that are at that 38-week stage and due date is looming, reflexology can really help settle those anxieties of labor whether you're scared about giving birth whether you're scared that you're going to be overdue all of that can be really helpful however also what you're doing when I'm relaxing and zoning out you're also understanding what's going on in my body and which need what areas need more attention yeah so I'd say that most women contact me at this stage so you're 38 weeks pregnant at the moment most people get in touch around now and it's 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 with a view to what's happening in the next few weeks Mm. and labor um and really at this stage it's kind of your your full term you know you've you've kind of well, from 37 weeks onwards, you're, yeah. you know, you're counted as full term. So at this stage, we start just sort of prepping the body a little bit more, going, you know, going sort of towards that labor time. Mm. Um, so I'm really working on your lymphatic system because as you've experienced mm. in these sort of recent hot, hot weather days, um, you know, you've had some swelling around the ankles. So it, what's really important is kind of getting some lymphatic drainage going, getting a flow going within the body, trying to kind of get a bit of movement around the ankles, which makes it more comfortable for you in general. Um, But also just starting to um, work on things like the solar plexus, which is the most grounding point in reflexology. Um, And yes, there is some anxiety around um, kind of, you know, it's a life change. However many babies you've had, whether it's the first, second, third, whatever, there is always a life change involved. Mm. And so it's just really kind of trying to prep your body. So I'm working from an emotional and a physical point of view. So um, I'll be focusing on the solar plexus, which is the most grounding point in reflexology. um, And also uh, the adrenals um which are part of the endocrine system uh-huh. and and points like the pituitary gland as well which is the gland which um along with the hypothalamus which is situated in the brain mm. starts the release of oxytocin which is what will eventually get your tr- contractions going uh-huh. that's not something that i'm going to be stimulating a lot at 38 weeks right. but it's just something that i'm sort of starting to prep a little bit starting to sort of see you know see how things are going with that and just again kind of cr- promotes some flow so so you can ramp up the treatment yes but at this stage you wouldn't until 40 weeks during most of your pregnancy Mm. the focus is on relaxation Mm -hmm. and also if there have been any aches and pains associated with with pregnancy Mm. any pregnancy symptoms like um, insomnia for example or um, if you've got Uh, pelvic girdle pain or aching hips aching lower back some people have a terrible time with reflux Mm. acid reflux all sorts of things like that so I will be I'll be doing a more relaxing treatment but then kind of focusing on on whatever symptoms are coming up 
but then yes there's there's a change in the quality of the treatment as we get closer to the due date um, so I will start to, to use a slightly firmer pressure from about 38 weeks onwards and I will be using um, I'll be going to the pituitary gland a little bit more I'll start to really work on the lymphatic system and then 39 weeks then we get to 40 weeks and that's the time when providing you're okay with it providing you feel comfortable with it if we get to your estimated due date then we can start using acupressure points which are all situated around the feet mm -hmm. and the um, the lower leg and it's quite a firm treatment when mm. you get to that stage. So it's not as relaxing. So, well, it can be. It can be. I mean, I always prep my clients saying, you know, there might be some areas which are really quite painful, quite bracing when I'm kind of I'm going into them hard. Because mm. um, sometimes I use my knuckles on certain points, um, which sounds really painful. But actually, for some women, they are completely zonked out and, and don't really notice it. Mm. But for other women, it can be really sensitive. So I just work with the people that I have in front of me because everybody's unique. And if it does get a little bit strong, what I say is, you know, it's it's a little bit like preparation for labor mm -hmm. in some ways. You're, you know, I'll only be on these points for, a, for sort of five to ten seconds. Breathe through it. Breathe through mm -hmm. it, exactly, yeah. But so what I find so fascinating about reflexology is that a client may come to you with symptoms already, like, they may have terrible nausea, acid reflux, sciatica, mm -hmm. um, insomnia, and they'll offer these to you and you will be able to understand that and communicate and try and alleviate those symptoms through reflexology. Or there's the other way that you'll say, how's your colon? You always ask me how my colon is at the moment. She'll be like, oh, it's a bit crunchy on the foot where the colon point is. And I'll be like, hadn't really thought about it so it's kind of a sense of discovery yeah it's it's really like a map yeah. on the feet so I'm I'm tracing um tracing your body everything is represented on the feet so there are there are areas for the sinuses for mm. the liver for the uterus for the hips you name it you've got it on the feet yeah. so yeah there will be things that people present with mm. So as you've said, you've, you've listed them, but things also like migraines um, that can be just associated with, with pregnancy, mm. headaches. And so I'll be working on all of those things if they're the things that the people are, are, are struggling with. Mm. But then there'll be other things that come up at the same time. So if I find something underneath the skin, which is um, of a different kind of texture, or I feel that there's a little, it's a, it's a little bit hard or sometimes a little bit soft, it, it just it just depends, um, then that can be an indication that something might need a little bit more work. So basically, if people fancy it, they should have reflexology throughout their pregnancy um, and enjoy that. But Let's talk about induction mm -hmm. and those acupressure points that you're going to work on. So, okay, for me, for an example, with my pituitary gland, I'm always asking you, well, well, how's it doing? Because I'm like interested to know whether it's raring to go. And today you said it hadn't really, it wasn't raring. Had it improved from 37 weeks? Like, that's all I need to know. I just need to know if I'm making progress. I don't think there's, I don't think there's a way of honestly saying whether it's making progress or not. Fine. I mean, your pituitary gland is your pituitary gland. Yeah. But what I would say is that there are some times when it might feel different from at other times. Mm -hmm. And that could be an indication that things are moving in a different direction. But, you know, that's the same if I'm if I'm treating people and they're at a different stage in their menstrual cycle, that might be the case, too. So it's it's the, the pituitary gland is a gland. So it, it it produces hormone and it changes, you know, accordingly, because the endocrine system is is it houses the glands and it's it's all connected. And so, you know, it, it's difficult for me to say whether um, you know there's, there's something specifically going on with the pituitary gland but if it feels if the quality of it feels a little bit different mm. then I might say something to you <laughs> <laughs> fine I'm not gonna have the baby tonight fine I accept it have you had have you had any I know this is an impossible question to ask but have you seen immediate or positive incredibly positive effects from reflexology with women going into labour after they've basically if they're going to come and see you mm -hmm. and you're going to press that what's the spleen one the one that's really tender on your leg 
that everyone's oh, supposed to spleen avoid. Spleen six. Spleen six. That's an acupressure point. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like you do, and 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 you're they're they're raring to go. They want they want this baby, and then they're like, oh my god, I'm in labour now. Have you ever had that, or is it just not going to be like that? <laughs> um, it well, the the body goes into labour when it's ready. Yes. Um. We all, yes. However, <laughs> um, I have had um quite a few instances of people coming to see me. For a treatment, um, I remember a few years ago I was um, working in my treatment rooms and somebody was in the waiting room and they started having uh, first stages of contractions really mm. and uh, they wanted to go ahead with the treatment mm. and we did and by the end of the treatment, um, she was the, the my client was ready to go to hospital in a taxi um, because it had kind of what it what it what it had done is it had kind of supported the contractions. Mm. So um, it's it's like a, particularly working on the pituitary gland, it's a little bit like a, a red button in a way. And mm-hmm. if you if you can keep the momentum going, then that's what you want. Because, you know, contractions can start, they can fade away. Mm. You can have a false labour sometimes. You can really think that you're moving into established labour and then everything dies off. Mm. So just maintaining... Uh, that pressure to the pituitary gland can can and and also the uterus in general and lots of those acupressure points are all responsible for getting the uterus to contract and for increasing blood flow to the uterus so when you're working in that way and I'm working in quite a repetitive way at a stage Mm. like that then yes you you can have quite immediate effects it's also uh, I had a client um, a few years ago as well who his waters had broken. She wanted to have a home birth. Mm. Her waters had broken at home, and the hospital were concerned about her, about the time lapse. You, you usually have about twenty-four yeah. hours, don't you? Yeah, exactly. And so she wanted to try and maintain her contractions. And um, again, you know, the, the contractions were coming thick and fast. I was treating her in her living room, and she managed to get them going so mm. that she was able to have the home birth. Is it because I mean it would be really nice to be able to have like a reflexologist on speed dial in that early <laughs> stage of labour? Yeah, but sometimes unlikely. You don't know it's going to be in the middle of the night. Yeah, Anna, you may not fancy coming to New Cross in the middle of the night. <laughs> um, are there any points that birthing partners can learn about to assist? The person giving birth yes there are and actually i think i showed a, f- a few of those to you last time mm. um and and sam was was helping with them um so there needs are... a refresher i can tell you that right <laughs> now he hasn't touched my feet for about well since then okay so so yes so at this stage um you, you're still kind of really mindful of not you don't want to kind of do so much pressure that somebody is kind of going to be hurting. You don't want to cause pain or anything like that. But a lot of the techniques that I show are really easy to follow. So particularly on the pituitary gland, it's really, it's it's a, it's a bit of a skill, you know, it, it's a skill to kind of find the point and to, to use pressure. But what's wonderful about reflexology is that it's really flexible. So it doesn't matter what position you are in, I guess, unless you're standing on your feet, mm-hmm. but then there is, there's, um, there are, there's vertical reflexology, which can, can work with that. That's not something that I do, but it's something that I know other reflexologists will use. Um, but when I've used it, somebody might be say leaning over a ball or they might be sitting on the floor in some way, anything that's comfortable. And providing you can get a little bit of leverage on the toes, you can you can really get into lots of these acupressure points and, and some of the um, some of the reflexes. So yeah, so what I would do is at around this stage, if there's a partner around, I would invite the partner into the last stages of the reflexology treatment. And then we could go through some of those points together so that they feel that they can give you some support. And that's actually a really lovely thing for partners to do Mm. because you can feel like, you know, you're a bit of a spare part sometimes. Mm. Obviously, there are times when you don't want anybody anywhere near Mm -hmm. you. And that's, that's your, you know, that's however you're feeling at the time. But if there are techniques that the partner feels comfortable to use, then I I think it's a, a great thing to do. So if you're a bit like me and rather impatient and um, you're listening to this and maybe you've jumped ahead a few weeks and you're not actually at 38 weeks or maybe you're a bit earlier, are there absolute no-nos where you ethically you would you would never touch these points yet or try and stimulate them? I would always recommend 
working with a trained reflexologist. Yeah. And you see that goes for showing a partner kind of some of the points as mm. well, because I think the, the reflexologist would be very mindful of the points which are safe to use and yeah. which are easy to access and which don't require much skill. I mean, there's something to be said for just giving a really lovely foot massage at this stage as well yeah. and having that kind of connection with the feet. But there are some points which you absolutely do not use you don't go to them before the estimated due date and that would be a lot of the acupressure points that I would use from this stage Mm. but also you know you don't want to be stimulating the uterus too much before Mm. the 38 week stage you don't want to be stimulating the pituitary gland too much you don't want to be stimulating the adrenal glands too much Mm. at this stage Mm. you have to be really mindful of where somebody is in pregnancy and you know I do get requests sometimes from people who are impatient wanting me to do things but I can't because ethically it's it's not where I'm comfortable to go yeah and so that's just something that you know we talk about and perhaps that that's also an indication of you know somebody's kind of more emotional state as well yeah. and so that's something that we would work with in a slightly different way uh, for example you know I might just ask a few questions about you know their their concerns sometimes people are they're really worried about what interventions they might be having mm. Also, for example, if um, if a woman is age 40 and they've mm. gone into a higher risk yeah. category, then, you know, that can be it can be really difficult because um, there's physically nothing wrong with them. But there's just something about going in, you know, just just a flip of the of the calendar and then suddenly they're mm. in they're in a different area. So I think that just working with people so that they, you know, they're communicating with me about how they're feeling and I can try and work with with how some anxiety might be manifesting in them. So you kind of almost become a therapist as well. There is a huge element of that, I think. I mean, you know, it's definitely using counselling skills Mm. um, because people are in in quite vulnerable positions. Mm. And what I would say is that, you know, lots of women really thrive during pregnancy. Some find it incredibly difficult. And as I said, they're, they're approaching a massive life change. Mm. And there can be all sorts of different worries around, uh, around the labour, around giving birth, but also what might happen afterwards. Mm. Um, people are concerned about how they're going to feed their babies, whether they're going to be able to sleep, even how they're going to fit back into their clothes. Mm. There's, all, there's all sorts of things which, you know, it, it changes. It, it's a huge life change. And so that's something that, that I really try and work with. And... Postnatally, would you recommend a pregnant person coming to see you or seeing a reflexologist and how that can help? I would absolutely recommend postnatally. Mm. And I wish I could see more of my clients postnatally because I think that's actually a time when women need it most. Mm. Um, there's so much emphasis on what happens before the baby's born. Mm. Um, and actually, you know, there's a lot of attention on women before the baby's born because everyone's taking care of you. You know, you're you're you're, you're pregnant. And um, so everyone's asking how you are after the baby's born. The focus tends to be more on the baby. Mm. And so so for women, it can be really hard. Um, you're not sleeping very well. Sometimes you might have issues with uh, your milk coming in, feeding in general or breast engorgement, things like that. It depends also how labour has gone for you. So perhaps you've had more of an intervention than you were expecting. You might be in recovery. You might not be finding it very easy to sit down. There are all sorts of things which which can affect you postnatally, which I really like to work with. And I'm really flexible um, around the newborn baby as well. So it's fine to be moving around. It's fine for babies to be feeding or for partners to be in the room it's fine if you need to go to the toilet you know any of any of those things and we just work around but I think it's a hugely important time and just kind of going into those few weeks when after the kind of the massive adrenaline rush of of giving birth and the feelings that go with that sometimes there can be a real crash emotionally as well Mm. and it might not take place for kind of three or four weeks afterwards and then the effects of your new life change are Mm. really kind of taking hold and that's a really wonderful time to have somebody with you who is kind of empathic and who is just focusing on you and who is able to just give you a a hands-on therapy it's body work it's a hands-on therapy and there's something really healing about that one thing I wanted to know was 
how does reflexology differ to acupuncture? Because some people may have been suggested acupuncture. Do they kind of work in the same way because you'll be working on the acupressure points? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm not an acupuncturist, but um, they sort of follow a similar theory, if Mm. you like, in that, um, you know, you're you're working with the energy flowing around the body. Mm. I would say that reflexology and acupuncture complement each other. Uh So, um, you know, I know lots of women who will have, um, especially in these later stages of pregnancy, they will have reflex and acupuncture um, alternately I think it's just a different way of working and they will have you know they'll, they'll both have their benefits I think the the key is not to kind of overstimulate. I certainly wouldn't recommend having two different treatments like that in the same day or mm. anything like that but I would say that some people don't like having their feet touched you know mm. they don't mm. so maybe they would go for acupuncture sometimes people really do not like needles and so it's it depends what's right for you 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 will kind of find your way in what treatments work for you and what you feel most comfortable with and a price point for some people that may feel like they can't be spending a certain amount of money on themselves especially when they're about to buy cots and Mm -hmm. buggies and feeding stuff and clothes and you know it can reflexology be affordable? Is there any websites that offer a kind of uh, a lower price point? Yeah, I think I think uh, treatment prices vary around the country. Yeah, and you know you might find that if you want to book a series of treatments, some reflexologists will give a discount. I'm a member of the Association of Reflexologists, which is one of the main bodies for reflexology in the UK. And they have a facility on their website um, where you can type in your postcode and you can find a reflexologist. And they will also list the, the practitioners who are um, specialising in pregnancy. And, and I think that's something that's quite important because, you know, you want your practitioner to feel comfortable treating mm. you. It's all about things like, the positioning, for example, you know, if somebody hasn't worked with pregnant women before, they might not understand how uncomfortable it can be to be in certain positions. Mm. If you if you know and you understand and you feel confident about working, then, um, you know, that, that's kind of the best place to be because then everybody's everybody's on the same page. Thank you, Anna, for talking to us about reflexology. Thank you for giving me a wonderful treatment today. I will see you in a few days because I love it so much. And I'll be on week 39 next week. So what, is that when we start getting the old knuckles in, yeah? No. Wait, we'll wait until 40. Fine, fine. Thank you. Thank you, it's a pleasure. If you are enjoying Is It Normal? The Pregnancy Podcast, we would love to hear from you review it if you fancy or you can just give it a little like or subscribe it all really really helps to build the community of other pregnant women that are going through this too thank you so much for listening and i hope to be in your ears again very soon softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com